And there's a little bit of a buzz around it. Like people are always like, I hear Tanya, I'm not sure what it is. I've started it in June. It's changed my life and like my friend's life and like my circle of friends. This is not something that I grew up with. Like I never heard these words like Sitra Akhra and all these tools, these Tanya tools that I'm learning, like Moshat al-Lev. And I'm like, wow, I feel like I built up this whole vocabulary of Tanya words. there. I'm Tanya Khazanov, and you are listening to Human and Holy, a podcast where we discuss the deepest parts of Torah, not just as scholars, but also as human beings. If you would like to sponsor an episode of the podcast in honor of a birthday, yard site, someone you love, please reach out to us at info at humanandholy.com or visit humanandholy.com slash sponsor. In today's episode, Fagi Bloomstein takes us on her journey of discovering Hasidus as an adult. We talk about how Hasidic philosophy is the song of Judaism and how it kindled a vibrancy within her life that had been lost through the drudgery of daily routines. Fagi has a luminous energy, grounded, joyful, and tuned in to a deeper frequency. Listen for a shot of life and for a journey of song and intention. I've been so excited for this conversation. I'm excited to just hear more about your journey, learn a little bit more from you. But let's start by introducing you. Tell us a little bit about who you are. Sure. Hi, I'm Fagy Bloomstein. I would say my first role is I'm a mommy. I have six children. Thank God. Thank you, Hashem. I live in the five towns. I'm a school psychologist. I'm involved in Olami Manhattan. I teach in a cure center. I teach women in our community and I like to have a good time. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. I love that. And that is something about your energy that I've just been admiring is like the vibrancy, the fun, like with the depth is just like fun and joy which is amazing. There has to be fun. Like if we're not including Simcha in our everyday life, and I don't even know how anybody's able to get through it. So I try. Can you share a little bit with us? You grew up without Hasidus and you found Hasidus later as an adult. And now you teach a Tanya class and Hasidus is a big part of your life and big part of your Yiddishkeit. Tell us a little bit about your personal journey. Okay. So it's interesting because I actually did grow up with Hasidus background. Like my mom's family is Munkach, and we grew up going there like Yom Kippur. My father had a lot of like Hasidish Minhagim that I didn't necessarily understand, but I knew we were. I knew my mother's family was all Hasidish. They lived in Borough Park. I grew up, I went to like regular, I would say Litvish schools, if you would say, but I was always definitely exposed to it. We knew our cousins, we knew our family, but I feel like kind of the neo Hasidus is kind of what grabbed me later on in life. And I would say that my husband was probably about five years ahead of me when it came to learning. I do think, whatever, if we want to discuss this at some point, like I feel like there is a, in my community specifically, that the men are just a little bit more ahead of the women, which is hard. So here I am, 
struggling. I was working. We were living in the five towns and it was great. We were on our first house and we were first time home buyers and like the daily struggles, the regular life routine, work, kids, go back to sleep, wake up in the morning, go back to work, see the kids sometimes, not see the kids. But it wasn't that I was totally never exposed to it. And I was also involved in Kirov because my husband was working in a Kirov organization. But I would say when I felt like a little bit revealed was obviously and I know we've been saying this as we were preparing for this, is that in the hardest times and the darkest times is kind of like when you need something to hold on to. And I experienced that a little bit with one of my children. Not that my other four were easy, but when it came to number five, there were struggles from the minute she was born, throughout my pregnancy. And I felt very, very lost where the other ones just came naturally and just came easy and just came healthy. And it was kind of just the routine of life where all of a sudden I had this child who wouldn't eat, who wouldn't sleep, who wouldn't swallow, who wasn't gaining Mm -hmm. weight and doctor after doctor after doctor and just going from one appointment to the next and almost trying to catch my breath, not knowing how to stay afloat. What am I going to do with the rest of my family? We were living in one house and then we're moving to another house. We took a tremendous leap of faith financially to be able to do this move. And when we first moved in, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I was like, what are we doing here? Why are we stressing ourselves? Why am I killing myself with working? And I remember specifically standing in a place and just sobbing and not knowing where to turn. And I've always been connected to Tzfila, but like this was probably the most alone I've ever felt. And then my husband reached out to me and he saw I was in distress. He's like, do you want to go daven at the OL? And I was like, like my sister-in-law goes there. I don't know. I've never been there before. And he's like, just come. And I remember it was 8.45 at night and like I had put everyone to bed. I literally even remember the time and I just went with him. We got in the car and I lived at the time 12 minutes from the wall. And I was like, okay, we get there. And I'm like, what is going on? It's nine o'clock at night. Everyone's like eating cookies, drinking coffee, (laughs) just like watching videos of the Rebbe. And I'm like, what is happening here? Something about it from the second I walked in just grabbed me. And I was like, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm an Aristotle. Mm. And that was it. I don't even think I wrote a kvittal. Maybe I lit a candle and I just started davening. And then I felt it like in my heart that like I had a makam kavua. And then I just started going and going. And then throughout a difficult pregnancy that I had, and then throughout my daughter's difficulty, just the first two years of her life were extremely, extremely difficult in terms of feeding, in terms of eating, swallowing, doctors, gastros, endocrinologists, every appointment. It just became my stop. Like I was saying this, that, you know, how like Rachel Imenu was like buried on the side of the road. I'm pretty sure that like the Rebbe specifically asked to be buried in the crossroads, like right by JFK. So people can come and people can go. And it was right off the cross island where I was going to all my doctor's appointments. And then I would just stop at the OL and I would take my baby out and I would dive in with her. When she was finally able to eat, I would give her cookies and just dive in there. And this became my place, like two appointments on the way home from appointments and it felt right. And that was going on for like about two years. I started bringing some of my other kids, but like that was whenever I felt like the need like to cry, I would like stop there. Then when my daughter got a little bit older, my husband and I and our family, we went to get a bracha from a Rebbe who was, we were very close with, Mejbej Rebbe, and we went to go ask for a bracha. And at that point, like my daughter was already doing a little bit better. I was on to bigger things, davening for other things. And when I walked in to the room, he immediately said to my husband, he's like, oh, your wife is Lubavitch. And I was like, we're monkach. Like, no, I don't know. And then he looked at me and he looked at my husband and he's like, your wife has a connection with Lubavitch Rebbe. And I was like, I go there to Davin. And then he looked at me and he was like, you should go also when it's good. And then it hit me and it made me realize, you know, Figgy, we go when we have yearnings and big things on our minds. 
for a little kid, it's like a big test. And like for us, it's like before a job or like, you know, in order to get pregnant or then for it to be a healthy pregnancy. And like we're diving, diving, diving. But what about just going when things are good? And then I really tried to take on a Kabbalah. I never like mid and neder, but that I try. I go once a week. So I started going. I started bringing my kids. I started bringing my family. I had no idea what I was connecting to. I just knew that my tefillos were answered there. So I was going. And while this was happening, my husband was on his own journey of finding like neo Hasidas. He was always very close with Ramosha Weinberger. He was very close with Rabbi Zakatinsky. And there was this new age of Hasidus in the five towns. There always was. It was Chabad here, or she's Taub, and it's amazing. But I felt like a fire starting to burn. And we were like, I was like, I want in. And my husband was walking to Shiram and going to classes. And I was walking him and started hitting me. I'm like, what is he tasting? What is he drinking? What is this? This is life. My Shabbos table started changing and everything singing at the table and stories at the table. And it, we always had it, but it was never like this. It started to feel alive. And I was like, I want to live like this. Like, I don't want to live my life of Ramosh Weinberger has this like famous example. He says like, you don't want to just live your life for like the two weeks of vacation at the end of the year. You don't want to live 50 weeks to have two weeks off. You know, you don't want to spend your whole life living from vacation to vacation because that's not a way of living. You're not enjoying, you're not in the present. So I started to learn from Ramosha Weinberger, from Joey Rosenfeld, from Rabiasi Zakatinsky, who is now at Rav, and I could not get enough. I was like, this is crazy stuff. And I have a long commute to work, and I listen in the car, and back and forth, and I started like learning a little breast live, a little bit of this. And slowly, as I was eating this up, I was like, one second, not only am I enjoying it, because I do love to learn, I felt the need to teach it, because I was like, I see my life is changing. I want to give it not to other people, like to my family. So I started with like my kids, with the little ones, with the big ones. There was this transformation that I felt that was happening in my house. And it really, really hit during COVID. Like we'd had it, it was like two years before COVID. I would say we were starting, we were learning, we were grasping at something's happening here. And then when it hit COVID and we were all stuck alone in this house and we were like, we can't let the energy die out. We need to keep this house running. We need to keep it going. And it was music nonstop and the kids dancing and connecting to Brussels Hasidus. And we were like, I don't know, like it just felt right. It felt good. And I just wanted to continue. So that's kind of where it started. I feel like in general, when something big is happening, it always starts off with darkness. Like, Like there always is going to be darkness. Before I learned Hasidus, I was just like, oh my God, I'm in the dark. I don't know anything. Hashem, why would you leave me here? You gave me a baby and she's so sick. How could you bring me to this point in my life? I'm 27 years old. And then, like now, I'm saying she's six years old. I can look back and say, I don't ask for darkness. But when darkness comes, I'm like, I know what's coming right after. I know that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And I think about all the people that helped me get through the journey. I formed such relationships with her doctors, with her therapists, with anybody who was around me during that dark time are people that helped uplift me and helped me get through it. And now, as soon as I see a dark spot, I'm like, that's where it's at. The darkness, the scariness, whatever's happening in Eretz You know, if my kids are struggling, as soon as I see darkness, I know there is space there for like the greatest light. Wow. Sorry, I'm rambling. <laughs> no, but that was, that was not a ramble. That was a beautiful story. And the fact that you found Hasidus through the darkest time of your life, that you were seeking light, it kind of shook you out of that routine, that mundane stupor. And you were like, I need something more. I need some type of light that's going to get me through this. Can you describe what was it about Hasidus that drew you in that 
took you out of what you were dealing with in your life and gave you some perspective, vibrancy, that life that you're describing in your home? So I want to attribute it to Rabbi Nachman. I think that's like the first one that I actually like learned on my own. And when I say learned on my own, I actually mean teach it because for me, it's very selfish. But if I want to learn something, I have two very good friends that I literally call and I'm like, do you want to hear something? And they're like, okay, Faggy, I'm cooking, but I'm going to put you on speaker. I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> okay. I'm just going, you know, and I just will go on if I hear a thought. So I would definitely say that the first thing that gave me a big, huge energy boost when I needed it was definitely Rabbi Nachman and specifically Sipuri Maisios, like the stories and even more specifically the story of the lost princess. So Rabbi Yaakov Klein, he's a big pnimi. He actually just recently moved to London, I'm pretty sure. He wrote this book about the lost princess, the story of our lives. And I was like, the story of our lives, what is this? So my husband actually bought it for me as a gift. I always joke, like whenever we go on my vacation, he always is like, oh, let me get you a gift. So I think it's going to be sunglasses or like a bag <laughs> or some cute slides to wear on vacation. And he whips out a book and I'm like, okay, what is this? And it was the story of the lost princess. And I picked it up. I literally couldn't put it down. It took me, I would say, four months to read, especially between work and learning it and highlighting it and everything. And then that was in February. And then came literally the summer. And I was like, okay, I got to teach this. So thank you, Hashem. I have this platform of thank you, Hashem, where I'm able to teach. And it's funny because I teach in all of me Manhattan and I work in a Kirov organization. But my husband was like, no. Figgy, you could teach the same teachings, and this is the beauty of Hasidus, that it's universal to the people in the city who are not religious, to regular mommies, to young women, to anybody who needs to hear it. It's one language. It's universal. So I opened it up and I just started teaching. And Rabbi Nachman's stories, so much came to life. Every single word of the story of our lives is literally a mashal. Like there was a king. Okay, who's the king? There's a viceroy. Okay, who's the Shani Lamach? There's a princess. Okay, who's the princess? There's six sons. Who are the six sons? And it made my whole, like everything in Yiddishkeit become alive because I kept seeing those things. I was like, oh, the princess is lost in the forest. Okay, what does it mean to be lost in a forest? Forest is like when you have Shefa, when you have everything. How could you lose Hashem when you have everything? Because then you just assume everything comes from you. But then you could find yourself in the desert. The princess gets lost, right? In the desert. What's the desert? The desert is when you have nothing, when you're desolate. And it's funny because I feel like sometimes I connect to more when it's desolate. Then she gets lost in the field. And it's like, what's the field? And I could not put it down. It reminded me a little bit of a teacher that I had in seminary, Rebetzin Tarshish. And she taught, I'm learning now that a lot of her teachings were mystical. It was real. It was like tapping into mysticism. And I didn't understand it, but I knew I loved it. and. I would say like, Rabbi Nachman gave me the chizak at that time that I needed so badly. I was like a breast lover that summer. I was just like simcha, mila deshtusa, finding Hashem. For me, it was so uplifting and it was such a positive approach that that's what my family needed. Like I know that I turned to that book when I needed simcha, when I needed joy. It was a hard time. It was definitely a hard time. We felt like we wanted to move. We wanted to be closer to our rav. It wasn't happening at that point. But it carried me through and it made me realize like the harder something is, the more you want it. And we really, at that time, really, really wanted to move and we couldn't find a house and financially it didn't make sense. And it was COVID. So we had a great interest rate. You know what I mean? All these things like compounded it, but the more we wanted it, the harder it was for me to get to it, the more I realized that I wanted it. And now I can look back and say, Okay, Rabbi Nachman got me through that time period. So definitely started with Rabbi Nachman. And then it shifted. It takes like waves. I like I go back and forth. And then I 
kind of came back to Chabad Hasidus. This is all going to the aisle, connecting to Rabbi Nachman. I was like, this is probably Mashiach Dick, right? Like having Breslov and having Chabad. The two of those things are really what brought me. But I was, so I was like davening at the aisle, but mm-hmm. I was learning Breslov Hasidus. And I'm like, hmm, am I a heretic? Like what's wrong here? Can I join? Can I fuse it? Am I allowed to do two things at once? Am I allowed to do things at once? No, because in my mind, Breslov was very emotional. So, but that's what I needed. I needed that. I needed that concept of yearning, but like with Simcha. So that was very powerful. And then recently, a friend of my husband's handed him a copy of the Tanya and he's like, does your wife want to learn it? Because he knows I'm learning Rabbi Nachman. And I was like, okay, I'll try that. And it sat on my bookshelf for like a year. I'm like, it's so mm. pretty. It was sage green and gold and white. I ended up making it actually the theme of my son's bar mitzvah because I love the color so much. <laughs> and Inspired by the cover of the Tanya. Yeah, yeah I was totally inspired by the Tanya. That's so cute. And I also read the biography of the Rebbe by Chaim Miller. And I was like, wow, this is incredible. I davened by him. I don't know who he is. So like, I'm like, he worked in the Brooklyn Navy Yard. Like anytime I'm in downtown Brooklyn, I'm like, guys, the Rebbe worked here. Like, this is it. <laughs> I know my facts. Yeah. But it was cool to know the story of the Rebbe. Like I've been davening by his caver for five years. Like I should connect there, you know? Yeah. And then he handed me this book and he's like, you got to learn this. And I'm like, okay, what is this? So I started and I was like, I cannot do this alone. And then I learned from Shay's Tao that really everybody needs like a mentor when it comes to learning Tanya. So I've been taking his classes and listening to them and selfishly like teaching it and learning it at the same time. And I went on to my Instagram and I started teaching it the first class. And a friend of mine, Sylvia Cohen, reached out to me and she's, do you want to start a Chabura? And she's like, do you want to learn it with me? And I was like, yeah, you want to come over to my house? And she was like, sure. And then the next week, six girls showed up and then seven girls wow. showed up. And now we have like a WhatsApp chat with 40 girls. I know we're going to grow it, but I'm like, this is just from one second to the next. And there's a little bit of a buzz around it. Like people are always like, I hear Tanya. I'm not sure what it is. I've started it in June. It's changed my life and my friend's life and my circle of friends. This is not something that I grew up with. I never heard these words, Sitra Achra, and all these tools, these Tanya tools that I'm learning, like Moshat Alev. And I'm like, wow, I feel like I built up this whole vocabulary of Tanya words. My friends are using it. And it's something that I whip out on the hour, I would say, to be able to control myself, being a mother, dealing with teenagers, dealing with babies, dealing with work and with bosses and with coworkers and friends. And it's every minute is with intention because I'm building something so much bigger. I'm not just waking up at six o'clock, trying to exercise, getting my kids off to school, making myself lunch or being lazy and Uber eating. But it's not just that. It's every single second with intention and with building my kids up, building myself up, building people around me. And probably the deepest lesson of all is just collecting sparks wherever I am. There's Nitsotos out there everywhere. And any position I find myself in, I'm like, Figgy, there's no reason to complain. You're exactly where you need to be. This is where you're supposed to be. It was supposed to take an hour and a half for us to set up. It changes your life. Not that I was an angry person or bitter person, but we have tempers. We have things going on in our life. We have traffic and we have kids who want supper and kids who don't want supper. And there's so many things happening. And 
I could spend my entire day just putting out fires, like just being like, okay, put this down, put this down, put this down. Or I can say, okay, this is here. What does this mean? Okay, fine. She needs a little bit of love right now. Let me give it to her. Okay, put this one down. Okay, he's running late. He needs his school lunch. Okay, it's okay. I got this. While I'm holding this one down, I'm holding this one down, but I'm enjoying every single second because one of the things that Tanya taught me is that we think that we don't fully understand what our exact, like, our mitzvos or the things that we do, we don't know how it has an effect in the spiritual world. We think, oh, I sneezed. Okay, two minutes later, all my bacteria is away. No, that sneeze caused something that was cosmic. Me controlling myself when I was so frustrated is creating something in the cosmic world that lasts forever. It's not something that just happens and it moves along, right? It's concrete. It concretizes in the spiritual world and not from a scary approach, but in a beautiful way that if I can control myself even for five minutes or even for one minute. That one minute means something. And it gave me so much purpose. It gave me so much oomph. It's like, okay, it's not just now. Like Hashem never forgets your deeds, your intentions. Every single thing that happens lasts forever. So it's like, make it your best. People could be scared from that. For, for me, it's exhilarating. It's like I'm building something so big. That's so well said. And I love that you said that because very often we're like, I have to control myself through the end. And you're like, even if you just do it for one minute, that's concretized forever. That is a powerful deed that has impact that you don't see. Right. I love it. Okay. So you discovered the Tanya through your husband's friend. Yes. Who introduced it to you. He's, okay. Yeah. He's a big Chabad Chassid and we've had many Shabbatim together. And I remember him telling me, it's going to change your life. It's going to change your life. And I was like, is it though? Like, you know, <laughs> I'm not a cynic, but I was just like, uh, like one of, book, right. right. It's just like one book. I can't stop thinking about it. <laughs> like, I don't know what's over there, but in a good way, in a good way. I get, yeah. It's like you could wake up in the morning and you could be like, okay, you have to tell you, like it taught me about the concept of meditation. Oh, this is another thing. I really very much enjoy exercise, but more than exercise, more mind body exercise and yoga and meditation. And I just always felt like it's so selfish. Like it felt like, oh, I need time. I say this to my kids. I come from work. I'm like, hey, mommy needs to work out. Like, sorry, you want to come? You can come in. You want to leave? Let's go for a walk. Like they know that I need it for my mental state, my mental health. And in Tanya, we learned that meditation is something that literally will kickstart your day. Or in Hasidus, Hispodidos helps you kickstart your day. It's almost like it's not selfish. If you take that time, your entire day will be transformed. So I try to do that, but it's something that I really tapped into in the deepest way. I'm like, this is what Hashem wants for me. Hashem wants me to calm my thoughts. Hashem wants me to gather myself. Hashem wants me to feel good and feel energized. And the more energy I put into the world and in that moment in the morning, it'll transform my entire day. And you just, I'm going to sleep happier. It's like you said that it's technically like the day is the same, but the moments are lived with intention. So it's a different experience. Oh, I like that. Right. The days are definitely the same, but there's like, I go to sleep with like a little smile. Like, oh, I did it. Yeah. I know. It's a good feeling. It's not always, but it's, I'll lose it. And then I'll bring myself back and say, one second, what's my goal here? What's my purpose here? And the second I bring intention into it, it's good. Yeah. It's already good. Something else that you mentioned to me that Chassidus brought to your life was that Chassidus is the song of Yiddishkeit. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I thought it was so beautiful. And with this intention is also this music that you were describing in this song. So there's a lot of music in my house. If you walk into my house at any given point, our family Hanukkah presents can be like apple pods in everybody's room. So there's always music. So my husband is, happens to be very musical. 
But more than musical, the music that we play in our house and we listen to is not just like regular music. It's very much, I want to say, Hasidus infused music, specifically all the Thank You Hashem music that we're doing. But what's special about music is that, and I think this is also with kind of like music and dance, is that I learned this actually from Ramosh Weinberger, and I shared this with you, that in the times of Beis HaMikdash, we know there was a lot of music. There was the Levium, there was Chatzotzros, there was bands there playing right at the Beis HaMikdash while they were bringing up Karbanos through the davening. There was big, big music. But after the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash, it says that there was no nigunim, there was no songs. There was piyutim, there were poems that were written by a lot of the Sephardic leaders, but there was no actual songs written up until the Baal Shem Tov, the light, came down to this world. And when with the Baal Shem Tov, he brought music back to the world. He brought a nigin back to the world, right? The concepts, we have these nigunim. We have the nigin, the Baltania, the nigin, the Bardichever nigin. And through those songs and through those tunes, they were able to connect to so many yidin. Like we were saying how... Chassidus is universal, but even more than that, music is universal because music is the voice of the soul. It's the soul speaking out. It's overflowing. It's literally soulful. It's like the neshama. And the idea that when Chassidus came to the world, it brought back music. It brought back Nigunim. People were going through such difficult times pre the Baal Shem Tov, right? There was crusades and Gezeres Tachvatad and Shapsai Tzvi and the Jewish people like Whatever. It's like a little sad because like I was thinking about everything that's going on in Eretz and that was likened to what was going on. The Cossacks and the Parits and the Jewish people were so embittered. They, they didn't have anything left in them. They had no life left in them. And especially those who are not Torah scholars are like, well, what should we do? I can't read Hebrew. I don't have time to read Hebrew. I'm sitting here on the field. I'm trying to bring enough wheat to be able to bring home for my family to eat and then hope we don't get killed and hope my kids were taken into the army. They didn't have time for song. They didn't have time for music. It was everything was that. And then barely made it to Torah, barely made it to Shul. But what the Baal Shem Tov brought to the world and his Talmidim was that in every single thing that you're doing, you will find Hashem. And with that brought music back to the world. It brought joy back to the world. It's like, oh, really? Like I'm changing my tire of my wagon, but I'm connecting to Hashem? Of course you're connecting to Hashem. You're wearing tzitzis, you're wearing tefillin. There's a famous story with the Bar who said, he always stood up for the Jewish people. Yeah, you could be in the mud, you could be in the fields, but you are still connecting to Hashem. So he took that intention, but infused it with a nigun, with a song. And all of a sudden we have all these nigunim pouring out. So Hasidus itself brought music back to the world. And that music is what's going to bring us to Mashiach. I always think about this. I have this image in my head of Miriam and the women with their tambourines dancing at the Yamsuf, like bringing us into Eretz with music. That imagery is what we need to see all the time. We need to see women dancing and the kids dancing and the girls dancing. And it literally is what's bringing us out of this galas. You know, the band Eighth Day, we're big fans of Eighth Day. And what Eighth Day does is very magical. And I didn't know this when I, I was like, we were like big fans of Eighth Day, like from Lama Baloo days years ago. I don't even know. Do you <laughs> know that time. album? Yeah, yeah, long time. Literally their first album. I was like, who are these guys? This is amazing. And one of the things that they did was they took big, deep topics of Hasidus and they just threw it into a nigga and they threw it into a song. And one of our Thank You Hashem songs is Wake Up Yidin. And it was Let's Dance This Gullus Goodbye. And it's the idea of this gullus. We have to take the gullus. We have to take the darkness and we have to dance with it. We have to bring it into the circle. Rabbi Nachman says that, like, how do you get simcha? Let's see, you're broken. You're tzibrachin. Things are falling apart. Babies being killed, women being tortured, hostages being held. This is such a broken world and there are pieces all over the place. But what Rabbi Nachman says is that you have to take all those nakudos, 
all of them from this is where I'm so happy that we have the camera. You have to take all the nakudas and you have to bring them into the circle. You have to bring in the darkness and the little moments of sadness and the little moments of happiness and the little moments where you feel anxiety and you bring them into the inner circle and then you dance with all of them. And once they're in that circle, they're complete, they're whole. You feel at shalom. You feel at peace when everything is together. And that's a circle. That's the dance. You know, he gives that mashal. It's a famous song. You know, Tom Rizal sings it where you go to a wedding, right? And then if you're in the inner circle, if you're like the Hassan sister or the Kala sister, like you're in it, you got it. But let's say like uh, you were invited, you stay for the chuppah, you weren't sure if you should come, you're standing on the sidelines. What you need to do at the center circle is bring in all the outsiders. And the second they come in, they feel the dance. You know what I'm talking about. Those people are standing on the side like, eh, my feet hurt, my heels are too high. Yeah, of course. I'm like, take off the heels and get into the circle. If you're not dancing, you're not going to feel the simcha. So it has to come with music. It has to come with dance. It has to come with, like, that's really what brings life. Another big important lesson that I take from Renachman is that Tzarech Kod Kol Hayom. What are the words? Tzarech Kod Kol Hayom. We have a song. Tzarech Kod Kol Hayom. Lefachot Chatsi That at least a half hour, you just need to dance. And that means like, when I come home from work, if I'm had a hard day, my kids are over there, I put on music, I blast it, I start dancing with it. My mother walks in and she's like, Peggy, lower the music. I'm like, no, we are not lowering the music. I'm going to make supper with music blasting. I don't want to hear anybody crying. I don't want to hear anybody telling me that they need a bathroom. No, we're just going to listen to music. And I do that while I'm cooking. I do that while I'm bathing the kids. Because if we don't have that music and that dance, then, it, then we lose it. We slip. It's like a slippery slope. What is it specifically like? If you could define it, what do you think the music is bringing to your home and to the world that is so significant and that is unique to Hasidus? Someone told me this recently. It was after I had a baby, and I was like going through, I guess, the regular baby blues. And they were saying that if you're ever feeling overheated or stressed or tired or whatever it is, she said that you should jump to the opposite extreme. If you're feeling very, very hot, go for a cold plunge or open up the door in the freezing cold or blast the air conditioner. Go to the app extreme. You're feeling freezing, walk into a warm room or drink something hot if you're feeling very cold. And she explained to me that your body can't be in two states at once. It can't be cold and hot at the same time. So kind of shock your body into the opposite. So for me, if I'm feeling sad, the second I turn up the music, my body is no longer allowed to be sad. It cannot be sad. You'll see me driving, my windows open and the music blasting. And they're like, who's that crazy mom? And I'm like, that's me. Because it, the second I'm feeling sad, the second I feel tension, the second I feel any anxiety, the turning it up of it shoots my body into like another state. It no longer allows it to be sad. There is a concept of tapping into slow music for meditation, which I do also. But when I know that I need like a burst of something, I feel that my soul can no longer be in that state of sadness. And it kind of ejects me out says like, it like spits you out of there. It's like, you don't want to be there. Oh, interesting. Because it's such an extreme amount of joy in the music that you're experiencing that it kind of takes you out of yourself. I think so. I mean, there are different types of music. I don't know. There's like slow music, good, deep, meditative music. Like we just put an album with like Chaim Guri with Thank You Hashem. And it's very meditative. So it gets you in the zone of davening and connecting to like a deep place. But I think that we have the ability to choose where we want to go. I think my favorite thing is, is that it, I know that the second I put that music on, it flips the switch inside of me. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think what's beautiful is that what you're saying is it's just beautiful practically, just how music could instill your life with a certain vibrancy and energy and also intention and meditation, like you said. 
It's also the metaphor of music that I think is so beautiful. That Hasidus is the song of Yiddishkeit, that Hasidus brought music back into our world. Music represents something that's soulful, that's joyful, that touches something deeper than our conscious selves. Right. Like I think about it like David Amalek, right? Like he represents the ultimate, right? Like Mashiach ben David, right? It's coming from David. David Amalek, he's he was the ultimate composer. I mean, he wrote Sefer Tehillim. Tehillim was his song. Tehillim was his own private journey, his own private philos, but it was a song. And it's like, Ms. Marla David, you're being chased by like Shaul and like you're about to get killed. But Ms. Marla David, there was always something that he turned to song. Like the second he felt sad, his enemies were coming. So he had to like infuse it with joy. That like, you know, all the time, like we see it quoted in the Navi that Kehuli Hamanagin, we're taught that this is a generation that is going to be seeing the Mashiach, right? We're definitely in the sixth millennial, right? We're in the year like Tavshin Pei Dalid. We are getting close to Yimo. We're in Yimos HaMashiach. Like Shays Taboy says, like we're in Erev Shabbos. Like right now we're in Erev Shabbos. We know that this world is going to be here for 6,000 years. And as we get closer and closer to Mashiach, there are many signs and things that are going to be happening that we know that the end of times, the Mashiach is coming. And one of them is that this generation that we are right now is like we're experiencing what we call like Tayama, like we're able to taste like Arab Shabbos. There's this concept of Tayama. Like I always think, is that just like, oh, I just want to have a piece of kogel and chalant like before Shabbos, because that's really when it's the best. But really it's a deep concept of being able to taste Shabbos. So we're starting to taste Shabbos. And as we get closer to the Mashiach, we know that we're going to be Nevi'im are going to Nevuah is coming back, right? That's one of the big things that will happen in times of Mashiach. So our children, if anything, Right now, this generation, they're going to be Nevi'im. Rabbi Yassi Zakatinsky, our Rabbi, talks about this all the time, why there's this concept of ADHD and there's like inattentiveness. So there's like this kayach of like kayach dimyon, like of imagination and creativity that's come back to this world with such like a vengeance. Like I would say up until the 1920s, we were in the world of like academia. Like who would be on the cover of Time magazine? Albert Einstein. But now who's on the cover of the magazines? Music artists and we're almost like worshiping actors and actresses in this world of creativity, of this world of all the digital things and all the sciences now are like, that's great. You know, it used to be like, oh, my son, the doctor. Now it's like, oh, my son, the computer software energy, like, you know, engineer, like, oh, he works at Instagram, TikTok, right? This is where the world is leading. And that's because there's this gush of creativity sent down to this world. And creativity came, obviously, is together with music and with the arts. And that is something that Hasidus brought to the world, like the Baal Shem Tov. He brought music back to this world, right? Hasidus brought music. So music and the arts is something that we very, very much honor and look up to. And that's because we're getting a little bit of a taste of Mashiach. And in order to be a Navi, in order to be a prophet or a prophetess, you have to have this Koch You have to believe that there's something outside of your little black and white, two-dimensional world. No, there's a third dimension. What does that mean there's a third dimension? Then I'm like, guys, we have AI. We know it's coming. And this creativity, this kocha dimyon is something that the Navim had. A lot of times, like I'm studying Navi with my daughter, Navi, low-key, my favorite subject ever. It's because the stories are so alive. Yeah, they're interesting. And one of the things I was learning with my daughter was when a Navi needed, before he like prophesied, he had to be in the zone. He had to be in that transcendent zone. And they, they were schools. They were, they were schools for like prophets. Like talk about Hogwarts. There was schools of Nevi'im. There were hundreds of thousands of Nevi'im. We only know, let's say like, you know, the 48 and the Shiva Nevi'os because those are the ones that gave like Nevi'ah for future generations. But whenever they wanted to tap into Nevi'ah, there was this idea that there was music there. 
If David Amalek was in a bad mood, he needed to have someone play the harp in order for him to connect, in order for him to tap into that frequency. It was through his mood and through his emotions and through music. And it's very enlightening to realize that we're in that world. And this is really why I feel so tapped into music is because music is of another world. It's a world of creativity. It's a world of art. And it's a world where it changes our mood to be able to connect to Hashem. It could change your mood to something very dark. I don't listen to that music, whatever, like dark metal music, like not that, but Jewish music can tap you into a frequency where you can connect to Hashem in an almost like Nebuah Dick way. I don't know what it means to have Nebuah, but I know that when you can tap into a frequency, you're preparing yourself. It's a practice. Meditation is a practice. Listening to soft music and meditating and finding Hashem in those moments is something that Tanya teaches us with finding Tfunos, to find things, to find little moments that carry you through the day. So I think that the music is very, very important, like especially for our generation. Like I see my kids in school when they put music on and my daughter has this in her high school. They put music on during lunchtime. They just dance. I'm like, when I, I went to it. school, I'm like, we didn't do that in my school. Like, right. not at all. And there's this idea where like Erev Shabbos, they just dance. And then like, I see it in my shul. I started going to shul now Friday night because everybody's singing. Everyone's dancing at Kabbal Shabbos. I'm like, wow, we are becoming alive again. Yeah. So there's like a vibrancy that comes with music, which is connecting us to Yimos HaMashiach. I love that. Also, that makes me think about the idea that when Mashiach comes, the Pneumius of the world is going to be revealed and Hasidus is the Pneumius of Torah. So that is also our taste of Shabbos, right? The fact that so many people are becoming reconnected to Hasidus and reconnected to like the Pneumius of Torah and like the deepest parts of ourselves and of the world is because Mashiach is coming and we, we're getting prepared. We're getting sensitive to we, that we, innermost we're tapping things. In. Yeah, we're really yeah. like, I, I was like likening it to like, you know, those black papers that you can like scratch and like you see the colors underneath it. Oh, so it's yeah. like as we're getting closer and closer to Mashiach, we're like scratching, we're revealing it because there is a concept of like Mashiach is already here. Like you can tap into Mashiach energy, but the more you scratch away, the more you reveal it, the more you see it. But the scratching comes with hardness. It comes with difficulties. It comes like it looks dark, but then you scratch it off and it's colorful, you know? So I think that we're definitely, definitely getting closer and the world is waking up. It really, really is. It started with the Baal Shem Tov and it took time and it, and there were naysayers and people are not, but like, I don't know how anybody, anybody can raise a family right now without Hasidus. I mean, right now I'm very in the throngs. I'm like in motherhood and working and whatever. And I'm like, if you don't have this Hasidus in your life, if you don't have intention in every single thing that you're doing, you are literally just waiting for the next vacation to be able to escape. You know, I'm always like us women, like we're always feeling like, I need a break. I need a vacation. I need a vacation. But what if you didn't have to feel that? What if every single moment you were able to enjoy? It's mind blowing. Can you share a bit more about what that transformation has been like for you? Because you're describing how within the mundane details of your motherhood and your life and your work, et cetera, you have found a new vibrancy and a new intention and a new song. What are some more details or some more areas where you can show us that shift, like the before and after? Okay. I'm going to tell you this story. I don't know if I shared this story with you. So my husband and I recently went to Israel, I would say about a year and a half ago, and we met a couple that live in Sfas, like super cool, the coolest, artsy, music, and they were a good 15 years younger than us. He's actually a singer. He has like a band called Shefa Band, and 
He's so incredible. And he actually is a Chabad. I'm not sure what his wife is, but I definitely Chabad. And she's an artist and painting everything. And we were talking and we had dinner together and it was just a very enjoyable conversation. And some of the things that they said, I took away with me and it really, really helped. And I remember as I was sitting there with them at dinner, I looked to my husband. I'm like, oh, I just really want to move to Israel. Like, oh, I just want to teach in a seminary and live this life. I'm so holy here in Israel. And she looked at me. Her name is Devora. She was like 23 at the time. And she was not even like a mom yet. She has a baby now. And she was like, you can make Aliyah wherever you are. And I was like, what? What does that mean? And she's like, if you just tap into the frequency of where you want to be spiritually, you can make Aliyah. And it hit me so hard when she said that. I came back home. At that point, we were actually moving. We had just found our house and we were moving. And it made me realize, what if I was in Israel right now? How would I be experiencing my life? What was the life that I dreamed of in Israel? And I try to think about that. Just little teachings of Hasidus started being put into place. So I wake up in the morning. I know this is going to sound so cliche, but I literally say, when I say Moda'ani, like I say it with intention. I'm like, Moda'ani lefanecha melechai v'kayam shehechazarta bi nishmasi. He gave me back my neshama. That means that Hashem didn't say, oh, Figi, I gave up on you. Like I almost gave up on this podcast. I gave up on you, right? I didn't give up on you. You're here. Mm. You're here for another day. Okay, get up right now. Jump out of bed. Okay, next thing. Okay, my kids. My kids are amazing and messes and whatever. My normal reaction would be like, why is everybody's clothing on the floor? Why do I even have a cleaning lady? You guys are, you know, that would make normal. And I said, one second, they're going off to an entire day of school. If I can give them one thing that will help them get through the day and I don't lose it, then I have Om Haba. I like tell this to myself. Okay, go to everybody's room, waking them up. Everybody needs something. Every time somebody reacts in like a reactive way, it means that their neshama needs something. So I start looking at my kids as neshamos. I'm like, I don't see the messy, slobby kid that jumped toothpaste all over the sink in an attempt to clean their teeth. I see a neshama that just wanted to try again. And I stopped seeing them for the who they are. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't lose it every so often, but I started seeing the shamos. So I'm like, okay, they're just six little sparks all in my house. I get to be in charge of them. I get to give them chizak, making them a coffee, making you lunch. And some mornings I'm not even home. So those mornings that I'm not home, I say, I could be sad. And I actually had this conversation with my friend, Nicole, this morning. And I was like, I could be so sad right now because I just want to be home. But also I'm sitting in traffic. Okay. My normal reaction, pre-chasidus would be like, why am I at work? I have literally so many pictures of me on the Belt Parkway just with traffic. So I could just remember. But this morning I said to myself, and this is a practice. This is not something I'm perfected, but is a practice. I'm driving to work and I say, Figi, this is literally your cosal. You've had the strongest feelings in traffic because you are in the darkest, saddest place when you're in traffic going to work at seven o'clock in the morning and not home with your kids. So use this opportunity. When else are you going to get 50 minutes of total alone time with Hashem that you can cry and dive in? And trust me, I don't know if you've ever had like a good car cry. Good car cry is like very strong. Yeah, superior to any other cry. It's, it's oh, turn the music on, cry. Yeah. And yeah. I don't care who's looking at me. There's traffic. We're going slow. I don't even have to focus. I have done this drive so many times. I know exactly where to go, but I have 50 minutes of uninterrupted davening, listening to Shiarim. Okay, I could be mad at myself. I could be sad for myself, but I say, no, I have time to learn. Okay, and then from the minute I get to work, stop seeing people, stop seeing bodies, just seeing neshamos. Somebody needs a smile. Say hello to the security guard. Whatever it is, it's like, if you don't see it, if you see this as 
every single day in the mundane, you get stuck in it and it's so boring, but it's not because every single minute is like another challenge thrown your way. So it's like, how am I going to grow from this? So those are little practices that I've started. I've definitely started seeing the people in my life, not just as, oh, they happen to be in my space. They're in my space for me to learn. I'll give you an example. Like my parents lived in Brooklyn my whole life and only recently they moved to the five towns like to live near me. And like I felt for myself one second. And we we helped them move and it was a whole journey and it was a whole situation. But I was like, wow, I did not for 15 years, I didn't live near my parents. I didn't have the ability to do keep it of aim. Okay, what does keep it of aim mean right now? Like for 15 years my Nishama didn't need it. But now Nashama's telling me, Figgy, you need to work on that. And how do I know? Because he took my parents and put them right literally down the block from me. So now that means there's a reason that they're here. And that is some kind of tikkun for me, for my neshama. So Hasidus definitely made me realize intention, but more than intention, it explains to you your purpose. I started to understand my purpose based on the people that are around me, based on the work environment, based on my family environment, based on my kid's struggles. It's not my kid's struggle, it's my struggle. If my kid is struggling in school, that means I need to work on my patients to be able to do homework, or I need to do something else to make this work. I used to think, oh, that's their problem. But if they're in my Dalit Amos, then they must be there for me as a Tikkun. So that's one of the biggest lessons. Just recognizing how Hashem put you in specific places because there's something that you particularly can do there. There's a purpose for you in that moment and in every moment, like as you're walking into your job and you're saying hello to the security guard at the door, it's not a mistake that you're passing this person at this moment in this exact time and you have something to do in that moment. Right. Some people think you have to wait for like this huge hashkacha moment. Like, oh my God, I missed the train and that train like crashed in something else. No, you missed the train and you missed the train. And now maybe on the next train, there's going to be somebody there that you need to interact with. I'm always like, if you have anxiety, okay, some people need medication, but also maybe learn a little chasidus. Like it just calms you. It's like, I was the person that spent so many hours and I still spend so many hours in the car, whether it's work or doctor's appointments, whatever. And it's like, I'm supposed to be in the car right now. This is where I have to be. I'm supposed to be in the traffic. I'm going to be late, but it's okay. It calms me at every moment. It's almost like a sedative. It's the craziest thing. I love it. Some people say it's like a high. There is, there are moments of feeling like exhilarated, but there's also a moment of it totally calms me. My kids 1000% see, but also I'm very, very grateful and lucky that my kids were in a shul where my kids are really learning this. And they remind me sometimes, my 15-year-old son, who's deep into like learning Hasidus and Pneumius, even though he's in a regular Litzvah Yeshiva, like we're exposing him to this. It's like, I said something the other day and I was like, oh, oh my God, we have no more, you know, whole wheat wraps, whatever. And he's like, ma, you were never supposed to have whole wheat wraps. And I was like, ah, thank you, Israel. (laughs) Like, you know, it was just like, okay, I'm doing something right. You know, I'm doing (laughs) something right. Yeah. That is beautiful. I love that. Tell me, where have you seen or have you seen shifts in the way that you interact through Giddishkeit, like how you interact with Shabbos, Yamtif, your relationship with Hashem? What have the shifts been in those areas? So with Hashem, I take Hashem with me everywhere. Like before you leave the house, you take your phone, your wallet, your keys, your ear pods. It's like, in my mind, I just take Hashem with me everywhere. I'm like, Hashem, I'm going to need you today. Like, it's going to be a long day. But even deeper than that, it's like a riddle. It's like, hey, where's Hashem in this moment? And the second I find him, I'm like, oh, it's like a wink. It's like a love from Hashem. I'm going to just go back to 
let's say like Shabbos and Yantif. I'll start with, let's say Shabbos and Yantif, how it's transformed me, that I'm realizing this concept of like hachanos. I never fully understood what it meant to be prepared and preparations, to make preparations. Like I always knew like Hasidim, they go to shul like two hours before and they sing and I don't know what's happening. And then they spend so long davening. I have this, this fear. My father was always the last one home from shul. And my mother was like, what were you doing? And they're like, oh, we were singing. I don't know, you know. And now shul could be over and it could be two hours later and my husband's still not home. And it's okay because I realized that there's something in the preparation of it. So let's say like I'll take any yanta, for example, like I love setting my table nicely. I like decor. I like making things looking like Instagrammable, you know, but it's when I started to learn Hasidus, I started to realize that the preparations itself is the mitzvah. Let's say coming up to like a three-day yantif, right? Like the three days before, it's transformed the way that I think about yantif. So I think like, oh, preparations is everything. You know, we used to be like, oh my God, I have to peel the vegetables, cook, shop, whatever, meal prep, everything, plan everything, print out all my recipes, whatever. And then I sit down to the meal on like a three-day yantif and I collapse. And I'm like, I want to be able to enjoy every step of the process of preparing for yantif. So I like to give all my kids like jobs like for yantif. I'll be like, okay, let's say like sukkahs. Okay, you're in charge of all the desserts. Whatever you make, it doesn't matter. And people tell me all the time, like, how do you let your kids in the kitchen? I'm like, listen, I know there's going to be a big mess, but I know they own Yantif. They feel good about Yantif. They made the desserts. They flopped. She put baking soda instead of baking powder. It doesn't matter. She made it. The next one, I'm like, okay, you make the shopping list or you go shopping. My daughter who loves to shop. I'm like, you're in charge of the shopping. Can you do this? You're in charge of making place cards. I give everybody a job and that already, they feel part of the meal. They feel part of the simcha. They feel part of the suda. They do. One of them, you prepare three stories to say over the answer. You prepare this. And then when we get to the meal, like I look at my husband and we like wink. We're like, okay, we did it. Whatever we did, we did already. And now we're just mm. going to enjoy the yantif. And like, I think that whole concept of the preparations before something, before Shabbos, it starts Tuesday. If you want to ask me how this changed my Yiddishkeit is that Shabbos starts on Tuesday. Monday is my one day off. Tuesday, plan what you want to make. Wednesday, put in my food order. Thursday, start cooking. Friday, more cooking. Shabbos, it's it. It's already done. Yom Menucha. It's a day that I can rest, but that's only because I prepared it. So I think like, if you want to say making hachanos definitely changed. I'm trying to think what else. To anyone who is interested in learning Tanya and integrating the ideas in Tanya in their life, whether or not they have been exposed to it from young age, or they are just considering it for the first time, what advice would you give to begin to enter this world of Hasidus, to learn this new language and this new way of seeing the world? I think the first step is humility. That's one of the big things that I'm realizing is we always imagine, what does it mean to be humble? What does real humility mean? And we know Moshe Rabbeinu was like, uh, like, Adam. like he was the most humble person. But it's strange because he's the one who gave us the Torah. He literally went up to Shemayim for 40 days and 40 nights. How could you say that that's humble? So like humble doesn't necessarily mean like a low self-esteem, but humble means you can literally bring yourself to a place where you recognize that you are nothing without Hashem. So I think that before setting the stage for learning Hasidus and accepting it and trying to integrate it into your life, you need to almost like in a 12-step kind of idea where like you have to say, I am nothing. Like I am nothing without Hashem. You have to be in a place of total humility, no ego, letting go and knowing you can't do this on your own. Because anybody who could do this on their own, they might not need Hashem. They might not need the light of Hasidus. 
because they've got it. But I think that if anybody could at any moment tap into the like Moshe Rabbeinu moment of themselves where they feel, and sometimes by the way, it takes somebody knocking you off your chair, not physically, but like somebody just like making a comment or you losing your job or you not getting the thing that you wanted or dreamed about and you feel a little bit low you feel a little bit lowered or like machnia, like we do it when we dive in, like we bend down to Hashem. Like, what is that idea? It's that idea is that you have to literally make space for Hashem in your life. And if you fill the whole room, then there's no room for it. There's no space for it. Hashem, we're not coming in. If the room is packed, Hashem's not coming in. But the second you have, and it doesn't have to be a major loss. It just has to be a carved out space for Hashem in your life, literally making yourself a vessel like a clee. Hashem will then pour into, like Hasidus will then pour in. So I think step one of connecting to any Hasidus is no ego. It's letting go of thinking that you have it all. So for me, it took a lot to break me because I was like, oh no, like I got this. I got a hands on life. I've got kids. I got a job. I have a house. You know, everything was working out for me, but it took something that like had to break me in order, like Chase Tal gives this example, like you have to like smash yourself in order to be able to find Hashem. And I think that the second you tap into that Moshe Rabbeinu inside of you, because his neshama is in all of our neshamas, the second you tap into that, it makes space for it. And I think that making space is everything. Like we one time got a bracha from our Rav that said that you should just have the kalim that you need to fill. You have tremendous R. There's R coming to you. You need to have the kalim to be able to catch it. So I think that if we make, and especially as women, we are literally vessels. If you think about it, and I definitely did not think about this before my first four children were born, but with my last two, which I totally call my Gaula babies, they're the babies that will see the Gaula or the babies that brought me to Gaula, my two younger ones, which came to me with not necessarily ease and with real, real intention, not just to have like a great, you know, Instagram picture, but really wanted to bring Neshamos into the world was with my last two. And it made me realize as women, like we're Kalim, like what is our uterus? We are holding life. We are creating life. It is the coolest thing. So the second you tap into the Kalim that you already have, because you have them inside of you, and then the Kalim that you build, which is your home, your bias, you're making space for the light. So like you're already doing it. So that what I would say would be the first step. And then also really finding for yourself like a Rebetzin or like a Rav, because you know, it says, like it really means something to be connected to it. Like we started talking about before I was saying about the Rebbe, like I never met the Rebbe, but there's something about him that he's such a presence in my life that it's like a guiding life to me. I'm like, I never met you. I don't even know. Actually, it all started from your podcast. I don't know if you know that. Really? I should go back to that. Oh, okay. So good friends of mine. Sorry, I'm like digressing, but but like, I want to know. Okay. Yeah. A good friend of mine, Nicole Berger, now Spiro, literally like one of my closest friends, Chavrusas, I call her my Rebbiton. She tagged me in one of your podcasts and she was like, Figi, you need to listen to this. And I was like, okay, I'm going to listen. And you were interviewing a woman. I'm not sure who it was. It was on Gimel Tamas. And I don't know if you remember what it was. And she said something like she met the Rebbe and the Rebbe said, like, if you know Aleph, you teach Aleph. And I was like, oh my God, I just started Tanya. I'm going to teach it. (laughs) I'm like, I don't really know it, but I'm going to teach it. And that's really what inspired me to start teaching it because I was like, there's such a need, there's such a thirst out there. And especially amongst women, we have Kalim already. We are Kalim. We are the, like a carrot habayas. Like, what does that mean? Like we are in charge of the home. We run that clea. And like, how much light are you going to fill it with? Like you could fill it with darkness and 
bad moods and homework assignments and essays and meal prep, or you could fill it with like simcha and Torah and song and music. And it infuses, like you're holding the light. And the bigger you hold it, like the more you spread your hands out, the more light comes in. Mm, That is gorgeous. Thank you. Oh my gosh. I loved this. I loved this whole thing. All of it. I loved the joy. I love all of the intention in your words and in your journey. And I think that it's incredible to see how you have taken the light of Hasidus in your own being and lived with it and shared it. And I love that you were inspired by the Rebbe's famous teaching of, if you know Aleph, teach Aleph, which is so beautiful because jumping in to teach Tanya when you were just beginning to learn it, which I'm sure has accelerated your own learning of it because there's nothing like teaching. Oh my gosh. Right. There's nothing like teaching. And everyone's like, when's the yeah. next class? I'm like, uh-oh, I got to go prep. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I go learn one. some more Tanya. Yeah. But that's like the wisdom of Shlachos, which is that when you teach and when you give, you internalize the light of Hasidus in an even deeper way, which is the point. Right. Actually, our Reverend Yossi Zekatinsky said this Shabbos that the closest dvekas that you could have to Hashem, like we talk a lot about this concept of dvekas Hashem. Like, what does it mean? Like Hashem's in Shemaim. Like, you know, but obviously Hasidus teaches us that Hashem is everywhere. But the closest dvekas that you'll ever have with Hashem is when you are able to share that not just when you have what you have and that's good and you like whistle a tune and go off and like, you're like, I have this knowledge. The way that you are literally davik Hashem, that you become one with Hashem is when you teach his teachings. And it inspired me so much. And I was like, okay, you can't stop teaching. Sometimes I go out of my comfort zone. I have to put myself there on Instagram. And I'm not always ready. And I'm a little stressed. And I'm like, no, Kleistral needs this. This is not. And also, like I said, like no ego, like this can't come with anything other than I'm trying to teach and spread these teachings to uplift people. That's the closest you'll get to being one with Hashem is when you're able to share Torah. Yeah, that's really cool. It makes the case for all of us teaching each other, I think. Yeah, yeah. And learning from everybody, learning from everybody, learning from the security guard, learning from the guy in my office who gives me the weather every single day, even though I have the weather app. And I'm like, thank you. I needed that. And like, you know, just continue with it. But it's true. It's like learning from everything. I think at the end of times, it says like, and no, the concept of like, what is that line? Now I'm forgetting it. Like that everybody will know, that everybody will know Hashem. And it's like from the blades of grass to the grasshoppers, to the butterflies, to the people, to the everything, everybody will know Hashem. And I think that when we find Hashem in every single one of those things, that's what reminds us. So it's like, we have to find Hashem in that. Nice as Hashem puts us in different circumstances, moment by moment in our day. Mm-hmm. I think also everything that's going on in Eretz Yisrael now, it's so easy to fall down that way of like, oh my God, this is so sad. I can't sleep. I can't think. I can't eat. I can't drink. I haven't slept. People are like posting in stories whatever. And I'm like, it's all Sitra Achra. It's like all like the Yitzhah trying to get us into a place where we can no longer move because like this is when our tefillahs are needed most. What we have to do is like, you have to find Hashem in those moments. And that's really like, for me, like the main thing of like Hasidus is finding the sparks and everything, finding the light in everything. And what's happening to us is like, we've never been so united. It's unbelievable, unbelievable. So like, for me, it's like, don't get sad. Yeah. Get sad for a minute, channel that sadness to to Hillam, channel that sadness. And I drive to the aisle, travel the sadness. Take it and channel it. But if you just let it simmer and 
ruminate and just get moldy, you're going to be stuck in a place that's exactly where the eights are wanted you. So what yeah. you have to do is like, you have to look at it in the flip side and say, look what's doing to us. Look what's doing to Kalisrael. I think this is like what we're trying to do with Angel Hashem also. It's like, just do mitzvot. Like, get up there. Go out there. Do everything that you're doing with more simcha. Kill them with kindness. Kill them with kindness. That's all we can do. That's what we know to do. We have tefillah, we have mitzvot and Torah, and you have to turn to that. And whatever you were doing, do it like a hundred times more. Like do it 10 times. You can't sit back. Being sad is, is treason. It's literally treason. This might be, sound very strong, but it's like, if you don't find Hashem in this, it's like apikarsis. It's like, you have to. But like, look what it's doing to us. Like, look what's happening. Like tzitzis and like tefillin and Shabbos it's candles and challah. I had like four challah bakes this week. I'm like, what's going on? We ate challah before. Like, no, yeah. it's like, no. It's like, we're we are obsessed challah. now. We're obsessed, with challah. right? Yeah. We're obsessed. I love it. Yeah. yeah. I know. It is incredible. You were mentioning music at the beginning, and I would say that Jewish music and song has been something, I think, throughout this time that can bring you to that place because there is so much loss and so much fear that has accompanied this for so many people. So it's like when you lean into music, you can have both emotions in your heart at once and you can move forward with both. Like you can rise above whatever hatred and murder has been done to our people. And you can kind of like use that as fuel to bring even more light into the world. Right. That's so beautiful. Figgy, thank you so much. Oh my gosh. Thank you. Lovely. (laughs) (laughs) Lovely, lovely. Thank you so much. Elokai Zakinina Betoratra Ubimitotecha Mechamberet Nishmati Tamidilecha Mechamber If you enjoyed today's episode and it sparked something for you, touched your heart or touched a raw nerve or just got you thinking, I want to invite you to keep this godly conversation going. Share the episode with a friend. Tag us on social media with your follow-up thoughts. Let's get the truths of Torah into the atmosphere. The world needs it right now more than ever. You can email us at info at humanandholy.com. Find us on Instagram at humanandholy. And you can sponsor an episode or give it any amount through our site, humanandholy.com slash sponsor. New episodes of the podcast come out every single Sunday morning. Hit the subscribe button so you don't miss a single one. And while you're at it, feel free to leave us a five-star rating. It helps other people find the podcast and it brings us joy. Thanks for listening and we'll talk next week.